If you had come by here early this morning, before anyone got here, and I was here, I would have said, welcome to Grace Fellowship Building. But now that you're here, I will say, welcome to Grace Fellowship Church, because you are the church. Can I get an amen on that? That's the only amen I'm going to ask for all the time. Let me hear it louder. How many of you are glad that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How many of you are, oh, now I'm preaching. How many of you are glad that that relationship will never end? Come on, let's do it better than that, all right? Okay, I promise you this. This is the last time I ask for any response, but I cherish every response you have. Dr. S.M. Lockridge, uh, one of the most, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard, was preaching at the Southern Baptist Convention in the early 1970s. And this lady stood up right prior to his, his preaching and sang this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful hymn. And when he stood up, he says, well, I think we should have the benediction and go home right now. Come on, church. That was great. Come thy fount of every blessing. When Jimmy started How Sweet the Sound uh, series of sermons, he invited the staff, which I'm part of, part of the time, that we would, could choose a Sunday to preach and we could choose the hymn that resonated in our hearts. I thought immediately about, oh, holy night. But because it's July, I, you know, I just thought that m- that might not be just as appropriate as come thy fount of every blessing. The stanza in Oh Holy Night that resonated in me many years ago is this, till he appeared and the soul found its worth. I realized at that moment, even though I'd been saved for many years and even though I'd been pastoring for quite some time, that spoke to my heart. It resonated to me that that's exactly what happened when I got saved. The soul, my soul, had found its worth in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to share with you some thoughts that I have about come thy fount of every blessing. This hymn was written by a man by the name of Robert Robinson, who is, and he does not have such a history as John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, but he does have quite a history of his own. He was born in 1735 in Norfolk, England. His mother, though she was wealthy, married a commoner. And when he was, when Robert Robinson was seven years old, his father died. And upon his father's death, his maternal grandfather disinherited all of Robert's family. Well, I can only imagine what happened then. At 17, Robert had moved away from his hometown, and like many 17-year-old young men, got involved with the wrong crowd. And one night they were drunk, and they wandered by this church, and there was this fiery preacher preaching 
The man's name was George Whitfield. Anybody ever hear him? Sometimes it's pronounced George Whitefield, but it really should be pronounced George Whitfield. They made all kinds of noise. They left. And for three years, the love of God, which George Whitfield had been preaching, tormented Robert Robinson. And at age 20, he penned these lines. Let's look at verse 1. Come thou fount of every blessing. You know, we could just read right by that to get into the other parts, but we need to stop with the first word, come. You see, you're inviting the source of every blessing to come to you. Come thy fount of every blessing. Mm. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. A sonnet is, is nothing but a, but a poem that has 14 stanzas to it. So, so teach me. Teach me happy. Teach me something that's happy, Lord, that, that will just resonate, that will live in my heart. Teach me that melodious sonnet. Let them be sung. By flaming tongues. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Oh, now, let's go to verse 3. Verse 3 really, really speaks, if I can see it on the screen. This is the verse that really resonated in me. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor We are in debt to grace, aren't we? Grace is, by grace we are saved. Aren't we in debt to the giver of all grace? Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord. That's the one that really resonated with me. One of the rudest awakenings I ever had after I got saved I woke up, I was still a man. I was, yeah, I'm prone to wander. And, and I was in recovery from several years of abusing my life. And for three months I did well. But oh, that fourth month caught me right back into the throes of sin that I'd been in. Even though I was saved, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Come thy fount. But what is a fount? You know, in this, in this song, in this hymn, there are several archaic words. We don't say fount anymore, do we? 
I don't. Fountain. Spring. Well. That's what the fountain is all about. A, a, it's a fountain, it's a spring, it's a well. Whatever, you, whatever term you want to fix to it, that's what Robert Robinson is talking about. Come thy fount. Just fill me up. <laughs> Robert Robinson was ordained in 1762 at the age of about 39. But right prior to that, prior to his ordination, he fell back into sin. He felt that his life was ruined. And one day he's traveling by the mode of transportation that they had back in those days by a stagecoach. And reaving and rocking, he opened the door and he climbed in. And this lady sitting across was humming a song. And he must have given a, a sign of recognition for she said, Oh, my son, do you know this hymn? Let me read what he said. Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then. One author that I read this week said that, you know, every now and then we need to preach to ourselves. <laughs> but that hymn, that lady humming the hymn that he had written years before, again resonated in his heart. He repented, he recovered, he was later ordained, he led a wonderful life. He pastored several churches. And at the end of his life, the church that he was pastoring had over 1,000 members. This could remind us of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You remember him? He's the young guy that says, Father, I want all my inheritance now. <coughs> Excuse me. I want all of my inheritance right now. I know how to handle the world, money, material things. So he went away into foreign land, and there he wasted it, the Bible said. He wasted everything, and he was living in a hog's pen. Then I like this, this one phrase in that verse that says, Then he came to his senses and went back to his father. And he was willing to serve as a slave. But what happened? I had this vision one day. I was, I, was, I was in meditation. I was in my devotion time that morning. And I, I, I was reading that last passage. And, and this, God just gave me this vision. But it was me. And it was my earthly father who had been deceased for a long time. And I could see the main route coming from the little town that I grew up in, and it was lined with white picket fence. That's about an eighth of a mile from downtown. 
And then there's a little road that turns off to the right, a little, what we call in Florida, a dirt road. And it was lined with this white picket fence. And I see myself walking down, and I turn the corner, and I look up, and here comes my daddy, my earthly father, running to meet me. You see, that resonated. And that's just a vision. That's a sampling of what heaven is all about. What salvation is all about. What grace is all about. What mercy is all about. I think Robert Robinson felt like he was that prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Well, he uh, continued his life and, as I said, became a pastor. Now we go to the scripture. Our scripture this morning is about Jesus. It begins in a latter chapter of John's gospel, chapter 3. And it goes over to John's gospel, chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And what you'll read there is that Jesus had been baptized by the apostle or by John the Baptist and everybody on the creek bank river bank applauded not just with their hands but with their hearts because John said behold the lamb of god well the sadducees the pharisees and the other sees they were not happy with Jesus so Jesus left. But there was remarkable things that this, this really surprised the disciples because Jesus did. Jesus did the unexpected by leaving success in Judea and going the hard way to Galilee. Now I believe that Jesus was in tune with God this whole time. But there was a simpler route that he could have taken to bypass Samaria. That's what it means by he took the hard way. You know, sometimes, sometimes we might find that to have success that we might have to do something unexpectedly and we might have to go a hard way. We were very happy in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We had been living here for over four years, started a new life and all this, and I had a wonderful job, and, and uh, suddenly that job was no longer wonderful. My company reorganized, and I was one of the extra people. So I was asked to resign, which I did. Didn't know where we would go. We were in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is right south of Charlotte, North Carolina. And, but finally, God got through here, and I took a job in Richmond, Virginia. And we were there for about two years, and suddenly another reorganization takes place. And, yep, I found myself just about in the same position. 
except this new director says to me, I'm going to put you on my staff because I know you're not going to make it. You take all the time off you want to find another job. Well, I knew that God was working in my heart. I didn't understand it, but that's what really happened. So upon counseling with my pastor and some other great Christian people, I realized that God was calling me to the ministry. So while I, as the old people say, while I chewed on that, man, I was 40 years old. That's a, that's a hard, I mean, that's a difficult decision to make to just turn your back on, on a profession that you've had for 18 years. So I just jumped into my new little job of being on the staff where I wouldn't make it. And when I did resign, that man told me, Lim, you amaze me. I never thought you could do this. Not only did you do what I told you to do, what I directed you to do, you did, you did it even better. You did more. I can't keep you busy. Well, you see, sometimes to gain success, you have to do the unexpected. <laughs> and you have to go the hard way. I resigned, and I went to seminary. Two and a half years later, I'm ordained as a Southern Baptist pastor. One thing I learned is that you will never run out of blessings. Let's read John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter, seven, uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus is sitting at the well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock? There's a region in ancient Israel called Samaria. Now, as the scripture so stated, the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. You might would say that they were the forerunners of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Now, this, this group of people who were called Samaritans, they came from the Assyrian captivity period, which was around 700 B.C. Jews were living there, 
the king of Assyria captured that whole area, but when he withdrew all of his troops, he left some of his Assyrian troops in that region. And the Jews there intermarried. And so the name given to them, because it was the region of Samaria, the term, the name given to them was Samaritans. The Jews gained a hatred for the Samaritans. But we can also say there was no love lost. The Samaritans later built a temple on Mount Gerizim to worship the God of Israel. But rejected the coming of the Messiah. So you see, Jesus crossed. When he went through Samaria, Jesus crossed all racial, all gender, and all traditional boundaries. Let that sink into you for a minute. For it's, we've already described and read about the Samaritans. He's speaking to a woman at the well. A woman in, in this time men rarely spoke to. Their lives, the women's lives were considered very, very low. Their statue, I should say. So Jesus crossed every racial, every gender, and every traditional boundary. Because the lady would say, but we worship here. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. Well, Judaism, then the religion that the Samaritans developed, and the boundaries. You know, if we are to follow God, not only sometimes do we have to do the unexpected and do it the hard way, we have to cross over. We have to get by. We have to accept every person, every racial, uh, racial, every race, every gender. And boy, in today's time, I'm just throwing this in, you don't have to accept it. That's a hard thing to do. And we have to cross over all the religious boundaries that there are. Let's read verses 13, 14, and 15, and then 25 and 26. They'll be on the screen for you. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a well of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor have to come here to draw water. The woman said to him, I know, <coughs> excuse me, I know that Messiah is coming. Well, now, she had a little bit different view than most of the Samaritans. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak, I who speak to you, 
am he. I can remember sitting <clears throat> nearly on the back row one Sunday morning at Pine Castle First Baptist Church. That's the little community I grew up in. A sinner, yes. Someone who wanted their lives, life to change, yes. And suddenly, what resonated in my heart, <clears throat> Jesus is my Savior. I who speak to you am He. Do you have that same resonation? Have you ever come to that point in your life where you're reading your Bible and suddenly that, that just leaps out at you? Hey, this Jesus who, who I do believe in, He is really the Messiah. He is really my Savior. Jesus goes on speaking to this lady and explained that He was greater than tradition. Now, he explained to her that he was greater than tradition. I just told you I got saved at church that morning. I was 31 years old. I had been raised in a Christian home. Jesus had been spoken about in my home all my life. I'd been going to church regularly since I was nine years old. I was already a member of that church. I'd been baptized at that church. All of that is tradition. Somebody told me one time that, that, he'd, that he'd been addicted to church all of his life, that his mother drugging all the time to church. You know, we live by tradition. If you got to my car this morning, if you knew where I traditionally hid my key so it wouldn't be in my pocket, you could drive my car away. How many of you last night, like me, began to prepare the clothing that you were going to wear today? That's tradition. How many of you parked in this, just about the same parking space this morning? That's tradition. How many of you read your Bible every day? And if you don't read it to grow in grace and nurture the Lord Jesus Christ, you're reading it just out of tradition. You see, we have to cross over that by understanding that Jesus is greater than all tradition. Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Then in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, Jesus took the cup. And he says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission, that is, the forgiveness of sins. 
If I take a few steps of water, I can go another half hour. Thank you. <clears throat> Dr. Waldo Harris, a great friend of mine, he is now deceased, a great mentor of mine. In his later years, while still serving as the chairman of the board of directors at Penfield Christian Home, it was discovered that he had leukemia. He was in his early 80s at that time. <clears throat> And his health began, even though he was under appropriate care, his health began to decline. Then one day I received a call from his pastor who told me that Dr. Harris was in the hospital in Augusta and probably would not live much longer. Dr. Harris recovered. And about four or five months later, he came back to one of our board of directors meeting. And a lot of my mannerisms I get from him. I use my hand a lot. I can remember Dr. Harris sitting in this chair that day. And he stood up. And he said, men and women of this board of directors, I really... I really appreciate your prayers. He said there was a time laying in that hospital bed that I felt, and the doctor said it, that I probably would never go home. That I only had a few days to live. And he said, you know, laying in that hospital bed, I began to think, you know, I have probably preached a thousand sermons before. And I've probably heard that many sermons before. But he said, you know what? I could not remember any of those. He said, I could not even remember the last sermon I heard or the last sermon I preached. But he said, you know what I could remember? I could remember hundreds of the old traditional hymns. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty states. The blood will never lose its power. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Oh, the blood of Jesus. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. And then, my favorite, come thy fount, of every blessing. And then the number one hymn of all times, the number one hymn, and you probably know what it is. Jimmy preached on it the very first series, current sermon. Amazing grace, 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. It is my prayer that you, you have been touched by something that I said this morning. Something that the Holy Spirit inspired me to say. And I'm thankful that I skipped over some notes that Lim wrote. You know, God is so good. I challenge you this morning, maybe right now. Maybe you've already done it. Maybe you've already written down one word or two or possibly three things that I said. Or maybe something I said caused you to think of something. I do that all the time sitting out there. If you saw the notes I took at times, you'd say, which sermon did you hear? You know? And maybe you're feeling the same way this morning. Maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe something I said. Maybe the words of this hymn. Maybe the words of the songs that Sarah sang and the, the words that they, the, pray, uh, the, the musicians, the band put together. Maybe something resonated in your heart. And you're saying to yourself, you know what? I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I don't care if I have to go the hard way. I don't care if my attitude towards others have to change. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for Jesus. The author and the finisher of our salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you so much for your love and your mercies and your grace. How they are renewed every day. We, we're thankful for the scripture that we heard today. We're thankful that your words have spoken to us through the Holy Spirit. We're thankful that we find today that our Dominican Republic team is safe. And we'll find it a blessing to be able to preach, I mean, to, to pray for Pastor Jimmy as he preaches tonight. We pray for their comfort, their safety, their protection. Lord, we're thankful that we're given the opportunity to assemble here as the church of the living Christ who through the living waters has given us a gift of new life and we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior who is the Messiah